You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon, for this episode, and I am joined by my friend today, Jenna Martin. How are, how are you doing, Jenna? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited for this episode. Um, I am guessing you're going to be like a multiple guest person on our, on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I hope so. I like to talk. So, <laughs> Right. So I, I wanted to give a brief introduction. I'm not sure how many listeners are going to be familiar with you. Those that went to the retreat here in Las Vegas in 2019, back a, a few months in March, you you know Jenna already. And uh, I loved it. We I met Jenna there. And it was it was so much fun. We were like up late one night talking. It was I don't even know what time we finally went to bed, but it was it was so fun just to <laughs> to get to know Jenna and and talk about not just photography, just about life too. And it was fun. Anyway, photography related. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jenna is uh, is an incredible fine art photographer, which has a, a meaning that I don't think most photographers know about. We're going to touch a little bit on in this episode, but if you want to know more about that. You really need to go check out her podcast, which is the Creative Chaos Podcast. And she tells me you have to make sure you put podcast in there because there's someone else that has some creative chaos thing too. So Yeah, because it popped up the last couple of months. People keep messaging me and going, which one? And I'm like, just pick the better one and pretend that's mine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you get the full name if you're searching. And we'll we'll put a link in the show notes too to make sure you, you end up on exactly the right one. Or you could go to Jenna's site and find the link there too. And we'll share all of that kind of at the end of the show. Um, so, so a fine art photographer. And then you shared your story at the retreat, which was what was really fun for me because you're a woman after my own heart <laughs> with the DIY stuff. So, so Jenna had a, a vision for her career. We're going to talk a little bit about this too um, with a, that coincides with the topic today. This vision for her career, she wanted to be to do underwater photography. She, and, and, the the enclosures that you need for your camera to get underwater are pretty expensive. So she, yeah, she didn't have that. And you did this DIY thing to build your own enclosure. <laughs> and you walked through that in at the retreat and the kind of the, the kickoff, the keynote of the retreat to talk through that process. I loved it. It just was awesome. I'm a I'm a nerd <laughs> and I love that kind of thing. So um so she did that just so that she could b- get to her vision. She wanted to be able to create these really cool underwater photos. And um you need to go check out her website to be able to see some of the examples or follow her on Instagram. We'll share that at the end of the show too. And uh anyway, so it was it was a really fun story about how you came to do that, came to get to know the fine art world as a photographer. And and the podcast, your your creative chaos podcast is kind of all about that. Is that right? Yeah, it's 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 a lot about you know just the different artistic professions in general. But I would say it's heavily based in the fine art world. That's just you know it's the stuff I know, so it tends to be the stuff I talk about most. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is is uh, it's we could probably do an entire show or multiple shows <laughs> just on that topic. And we're gonna try to we're gonna touch on it today, but but really. Why I asked Jenna to come on the show today. I need help. <laughs> I need some help with with some of my own progression down that path towards mastering photography. And it has to do with black and white. So I want to set this up a little bit here. 
for me. And I, I, since I'm the host, I get to be selfish. I get to, to go and ask the, the guests like Jenna, these experts that can tell, help me with this stuff, uh, whatever I want. So we're going to get to some listener questions. I asked for some in the Facebook group, and we're going to get to a lot of those. So we'll see if we can get to all of them. Um, but, but it's all about me for today. So we're, we're going to do that. <laughs> um, the first thing I wanted to cover then was I, I feel like I've made a massive progression in my own photography, especially with portraits, where I am, I am coming up with a creative vision in my head of what I want to accomplish with the shoot and what kind of a photo I want to create. And then I, I have enough of the technical capabilities. Now I understand how to do the lighting and how to do the settings on the camera and how to do post-processing. I got the technical aspects down enough that I can realize that creative vision. I can take it now from, from in my head, what I want to have happen to capturing it correctly with the camera as I'm shooting and adding the lighting and, and doing all of that, getting as much right in camera as possible. Mm-hmm. And then in post being able to finish it off and make it be what I was, what I was envisioning. And that's really elevated my photography a lot. I've been able to, to kind of make that happen multiple times now. And it's so much fun to make that happen. What I lack or the place I know there's a hole today is I never have this creative vision for black and white. Like never. It's it's never part of the equation when I'm when I'm doing that creative vision. It's never part of it as I'm shooting. It's never part of it until in, in post-processing, I don't ever have this like end result is is going to be it needs to be a black and white photo. And it's it's a shame to me that I have this hole and why I wanted to have you come on and try to help me with this because some of the most compelling images I've seen are black and white. They're mm-hmm. really, really impressive, moody, emotional kinds of photos. And I feel like I don't do that because I can't see that with my own work. I love it when I see it with others that are really good at this, when they have a black and white photo that does that for me and really makes me have emotion. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's powerful definitely. and moving. I just don't ever see it myself. Like never. <laughs> I'll tinker with it as I'm in post. Finally, you know, way at the end, which is not where I think I it should be. I'll tinker with it. I'll I'll see what it looks like and and try it out. And I almost always go, yeah, I like the color better. I don't I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't like the black and white. So so help me out here, Jenna. How well, you know I, how should I approach? I'm that? very similar. I'm very similar. I love color. I absolutely love color and. Uh, when it comes down to it, if I'm shooting anything, I'm shooting it in color, sure. I'm planning on it in color. Um, black and white, I started out the way of that most photographers do, where either you're experimenting, so you just throw it into black and white and think, hey, I wonder if it'll look good. And then if it does, and sweet. It looks great. And you go with that. Or you have some sort of flaw. You know, it's, it's the green skin tones and you can't fix them. So you throw in black <laughs> right. and white and go, well, it looks great. And so I started out doing, doing that. That's what most, I think, beginning photographers, how they use black and white. And, you know, it took a long time to learn the difference between a great color photo and a great black and white photo. Um, each, every photo that we look at right from the very beginning, right from the start, we're looking at it probably through the lens of color because that's how we see. Right. So we're pointing out all the great things in the color. And what black and white emphasizes is the value range, which is the lights and the darks and the differences between those. So a lot of times 
now if I'm doing a shoot and I'm going to put these photos in black and white, because I do have a large, I've got a ton of photos that are in some of my fine art collections that are entirely black and white. And then I have ones that are entirely in color. And now it is starting from the very beginning. And it's, it's planning a photo shoot knowing that this entire photo shoot is going to have a good value range. It's going to have a lot of, a lot of space between the whites and the blacks, you know, between the darks and the lights and make sure that I'm getting a variety of tones or at least a good contrast of tones. Um, and if you tend to, I know that some people will say, I'll put their photos in black and white and think, well, this one doesn't look good, but the other one does look good. Why is that? It's because you've got a flat image versus a high contrast or one with a, a decent value range image. And when you have that flat image in black and white, it just looks like a bunch of grays. It doesn't look like anything. And that's where you might want to leave it in color and play around with that a little bit. But um, I would say when when we're starting out and trying to figure out, you know, should I play with black and white? How do I even do this? Um, my, my biggest suggestion is to go out on a training session, put your camera in, mono, in monotone setting or monochrome, sorry, and um, start shooting specifically for black and white. Sure. Okay. So, so then you're seeing it in black and white as you're capturing it. As you're well, creating exactly. Show. You're, yeah. You have to train your eye to look for values because, yeah, we just look, we look for color. We look for the subject. We look for a lot of things. It's not natural to look for values until you've been shooting quite a while. And so to throw something in, and put it in monochrome. Now, when I mean a training session, I mean, uh, you know, I liken it to if you're a baseball pitcher, you can go and play, you know, you can pitch every game that you pitch and you're going to get better. But where you really get better is during the practice sessions where you you know, figure out the different kind of ball rotation that you're going to have, the location for each pitch, all of that kind of very specific stuff. That's the same thing we're doing as photographers. You can go out and, and shoot a million weddings and you're going to get better every wedding. But to have an individual training session when you say, I'm only going to focus on negative space, I'm only going to focus on black and white. That's what you're looking for in one of these. And that's where the entire session, you're going to go out for an hour, however long you can, and you're only looking at those values of every photograph you get. So a friend of mine, um, I went on a photo walk with him recently. It was Levi Sim. And he he shoots a ton of black and white. That's He prefers it over color um, mm. mostly. And, and he does a lot of street photography. So mm-hmm. um, he finds a lot of interesting dynamic scenes where there is a lot of the tone range, a lot of variation between the darks and the whites. And, and then, uh, you know, it, it adds like a grittiness to it because of the, the black and white nature of the photos. And, and he, that was how he started out the photo walk. He's like, Hey, let's, uh, let's just put our cameras in monochrome and do it, like the whole shoot, the whole photo walk in, in black and white. I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it really just makes you look at it in a completely different way. You know, the days that I, I love negative space. I absolutely love negative space. And that started with same thing of going on like a photo walk and being, I'm going to go outside for a couple hours and I'm only going to photograph and add negative space and all these different areas of the photo and just see, you know, see what happens and, and focus on it. Uh-huh. Okay. So you, you've arrived at a point then after you've done enough practice that you feel like you've, you've developed an eye for it. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good on it now. Okay. <laughs> I definitely didn't used to be. Um, I, I'm, I'm much better at now and I'm pretty confident now that if I need to, uh, when I go out on a shoot, I, I have either I'm going to, I'm going to take the photos in color and then I may or not convert them later. 
or I'm definitely shooting in black and white and, and that's what the shoot is. So I usually make a decision very beginning early on and I'm, I feel pretty confident about that. So what, what are some, how can we break it down for some listeners that, that maybe want to try this? They want to figure out how to make a compelling black and white photo. What are some things to look for in, in a scene that's going to help, that's going to make black and white be the, the obvious choice? Well, I think you have to go back to your main photography principles. So we have, you've got the rule of negative space. You've got the um, leading lines, rule of thirds, all these different photography principles. Whenever you're starting with a new one. So if you say you're not super experienced in black and white and you're kind of starting over and and you're great with color, you're starting with black and white. A great way to do that is to pay attention to those old photography principles. I mean, because that's that's kind of what when you're first learning photography, you learn all these principles. And then you start breaking the rules more intentionally. And there's a reason why a photo would be more center instead of rule of thirds, you know. And I think that's important to take on when you start doing black and white again, is to pay attention to these other rules. Because, you know, the leading lines when you're taking a photo, a color photo, might be a lot different than leading lines in black and white. Uh-huh, because if right. there's colors showing up in the, you know, in the color photo that make the leading lines, where in black and white, maybe it doesn't as much. And so you, it's still paying attention to those same photography principles. Now you're just applying all of them to this value range. And so leading lines is very specific when it comes to a light area and a dark area. And rule of thirds, it's the same kind of thing where you're really, you're paying attention to these old photography principles and applying them to the light sources, those lights and those darks. Right. Okay. And when we talk about putting your camera in monochrome mode, if you're shooting raw, you can still, like, even though you shot it and you're seeing the on your LCD screen, you're seeing it in black and white. When you take it and put it back on the computer, it's you still have the option of color at that point, don't you? I gosh, I really don't know. If I <laughs> yeah, if, if I put my camera in monochrome, I'm a hundred percent going to be leaving that photo in black and white. I've never tried to convert it back, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I, I think it's true. I, at least on most cameras, I know them for Canon for sure. For others, I don't. It may vary. But if you're shooting in raw, you're, you're getting the raw data. It's not so that that monochrome setting is going to be for like the the JPEG preview that goes inside the raw file. Ah. Um, or if you're shooting JPEG, you are there's no reversing it. It's going to be applied that setting that monochrome kind of uh, filter. I don't know how, what the picture yeah. style. I guess it is. And uh, but if you shoot raw. You that's an advantage you'll have out in the field. You'll see it in black and white and make those decisions about composition, rules of thirds, all, all the things that you just talked about. But then if you go on the computer and you decide, well, I still like it better in color, you, you have the option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that's probably a good way to go about this because we're trying to get better at black and white, but just just so that people could could know and plan for that. Um, well, and, and I usually recommend too to, you know, if, if, um, if you haven't shot in film before, that's also a really great way to it forces yourself not to sit right. there and just spray shoot and take a ton of photos it forces <laughs> you to really compose something because each shot you know counts as that's one exposure you have to use it um and so even shooting in film and black and white film i think is a great way to to force yourself to to really limit everything you're doing and pay attention on each and every shot sure okay so i, I think that's some help on and i need to do more i need to do a whole lot more monochrome shooting to get develop that eye. That's that's a very clear thing. It's taken me a long time to progress to the point where I felt like I had I could get the creative vision 
of what I want to accomplish with the shoot and the technical aspects so I can deliver on that vision. Now I think there's, there's a step in my progression to fill that hole with black and white that I need to just get more time using black and white and develop that eye for it. What about well, then? Go ahead. You, you know, you know, what really helped me too, actually is um, when I very first started, cause I wasn't shooting in black and white. I was just shooting in color and then flipping the images over, you know, yeah. Um, was in Photoshop just to go through. And when I put the image in black and white thinking, how could this be better? Sure. Realizing, well, if I had more light on her face, if this area was darkened down, you know, then it makes more sense. And I'm, I'm seeing where the light is leading my eye and it makes more sense. And even just doing that and tinkering with it in Photoshop to see what made it better made me realize what I could have done better in camera when I was going out actually shooting it. Because, yeah, in the beginning, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on shooting anything for black and white. I was just flipping it in Photoshop and seeing what was happening. But just playing with it was really helpful. And I have done a fair amount of that, trying to figure this out, trying to, you know, the part I haven't done is shoot in monochrome mode on the camera. But Mm. um, in post, I've done a a fair amount trying to figure this out. I was like, I've seen so many good, compelling photos. I probably should have at least one out of every portrait shoot I do that that looks good in black and white. That should be probably an option or something that my clients uh, will be able to enjoy getting a more moody, more, I don't know, uh, just the feel that's different mm-hmm. with black mm-hmm. and white. So that's kind of why it's important to me to develop it. I want it to be a tool in the toolbox. And today I don't feel like it's there. So yeah, I have, and that's, I mean, that's definitely a thing that I know. I know that when I, when I used to do client portraits, I'm not really one to speak on client portraits anymore. I don't <laughs> shoot for, for clients very much anymore, but it used to be um, the same thing where the, it's like the the high school senior would want all the color photos to hand out to their friends. And then the parents would pick, they pick a lot of the color photos, but then they would pick like two or three of the black and whites and those would be their, their big ones or something. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely something to have in the toolbox for sure. Right. So, so I, I've played around with it in the post end and I tend to do that anyway, because that's where I have more expertise. I'm a technical guy. So, so (laughs) that's the comfort zone is, is in the post processing. And, um, and it's, it's been fun to try it out because there's there's a, a level of it that's changed for me as I did that. And that's where in when you have it in color, there's only so much you can do with the tones before mm-hmm. it starts to look funny because it's affecting the colors. When you make something brighter or darker, it, yes. it can start to make it look funny. Whereas when it's in black and white, you can play around with the tones far more. The color doesn't it doesn't look weird because you're not changing a color you're changing the tone. Oh, exactly. And so uh so that's really opened up some of the photo- some of the photos as I played with them. The problem I had was p- deciding <laughs> when to do it. Yeah. You know, I don't have time on every single one of them to go through and play with that. So uh so going through the shoot and being like, okay, that's the one that I'm going to do black I can't. I I just pick one, I try it and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work. I'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So uh so developing this eye for it is something I've got to do. So that I can I can pick which one is going to look good that way and 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 deliberately have that be part of the creative vision of the photo. So we, yeah, we, we, and I think yeah. you know shooting in monochrome it really does help with that because it's a matter of you're literally looking at a, a color scene. Click the photo, look at the back of your camera, and go, mm, no, that's not good. And then move a little bit to sure. one side, you know, shoot somewhere else, turn it your light source, do it again, and then go, oh, that's better. And that's, that's what you'll start to look for is seeing the color scene 
and realizing that would look really good in black and white. That's right. what you're training yourself to do. And so when you pull a full color shoot into Photoshop or into Lightroom, you can scan through them and go, ah, this, this one right here, this is the one that's going to look good in black and white because you're training yourself to, to look for that conversion. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So now that we've we've talked through it, that and I need to. I, that's probably something I need to realize more on anything I want to develop with my my photography is I've got to look for ways to make it happen earlier in the process at the capture end instead of the post processing end. I've, I've <laughs> got to make sure that that's was happening. one of my corrections in the beginning. I was totally a I'll fix it in post kind of person. <laughs> well, sure, I liked Photoshop. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. It's just like my experimentation tends to go on that end instead of on the front end. And I, I need to do more experimentation with the capturing process. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so we, we've talked about some things that I, I hope listeners, and I'm, I'm definitely going to try to do some of this and, and listeners, if you've got, when, when I post this in the Facebook group, if you've got some black and white photos that, that you've really loved that you've been able to create, I'd love to have you share them there. So, so we can get kind of the community to, to kind of uh, support each other on on this and and we can talk about what worked and what didn't. Maybe that would be another one. If you've got a black and white that just totally didn't work, then you could get some help Ooh, on why yeah. it didn't work. Anyway, um, what what I wanted to, to now shift a little bit to was, okay, it, I see how you could develop an eye for it. And maybe as you're culling or as you're doing something in post, you can you can recognize it after developing that eye for it and say this shot that one's going to be really good in black and white and then go do it and, and make it be awesome. What about though, you said you, you may go into shoots where you know, as you're shooting, what that this, this needs to be black and white. Mm -hmm. How do you develop that? Is it, is that like the, just the next step after that uh, of, of doing it in post, recognizing it in post, but now, now like, I just don't see how I'm ever going to get it to be. Maybe it will after I get more experience. I'm going to have like my creative vision from the beginning is I want to create a black and white photo out of this. Well, it, it absolutely is. It's, it's absolutely the next step up. Um, so for a lot of the, the um, photo essays that I do, which are really just personal projects, I mean, those don't make any money. Those are just for me to uh, practice photography and, and shoot a cause that I care about. I shoot a lot of work for the Humane Society. And um, I, I heard something a long time ago that the number one reason pets don't get adopted is crappy photos. It's like a <laughs> right. black dog in the back of a kennel with red eyes that they, <laughs> right. they don't get adopted. Demon dog doesn't <laughs> And I get was adopted. like, oh my God, you know, my heart. <laughs> so I just started, you know, shooting all these pets for any of the shelters or anything around. And the Humane Society here in Billings is really great. They let, um, they foster the pets all throughout all the different houses in, in Billings. And so there's never a dog in a cage. It's always a dog in the backyard with three other ones. So it's, uh. It's really fun. But I started doing these photo essays with the dogs. And the main issue is a lot of their, their the dogs that don't get adopted are always the black dogs. Black dogs, black cats are the ones that don't get adopted. And I think a lot of it is because even the volunteer photographers don't know how to properly take a photo of a black pet because it's so, that, that hair is so dense. It is just a black blob. There's uh -huh. no differentiation between, there's no shadows and, and anything on there. And so a lot of the practice in shooting in black and white has been shooting these black pets. And so a lot of times I'll go into a photo essay or something for the Humane Society knowing I'm going to be shooting a lot of these black animals and I'm going to have to um, raise the blacks in post. I'm going to have to, you know, play with the settings on my camera to make sure that there is some differentiation and I can get their muscle structure. I can get the, the shadows and the lights and stuff. 
And that's where I know going into it, it's going to be a black and white photo because I, I think that sometimes it can be, you know, for the project that I'm doing, I want to do black and white. I think that can add to the timelessness of it. Um, and plus there's a lot of, you know, people identifying with an animal in black and white. Sometimes I identify with it more and then it's in color and they go, oh, that pet's, that's brown. I thought it was like gray, like my dog, you know, so I tend to anyway. Uh Um, so I'll do it in black and white specifically, and I'm going into it knowing exactly the challenges I'm going to be facing and what I'm trying to accomplish. So once you are shooting in monochrome and you're able to identify the scene and know that that's going to look good in monochrome, you pull it into Photoshop, you're able to see the photos in color and, and identify which ones look good. That's what you're searching for as soon as you go out to shoot in black and white, you know, realizing, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to shoot these pets. And I need to find some sort of high contrast black background. I need to, you know, shoot this dog and maybe against the light so that I can blow out the background a little bit and I can get a clear definition and raise the shadows later or raise them in camera right then. Um, So you're going into it knowing exactly the setting you're looking for and the different lighting conditions you're looking for. You know, it's, it's one of the things I've come to rely on in composites. Now I love, I'm loving doing composite portraits. It's, (gasps) Aren't composites fun? It is so much fun. Oh, just, I love it. I love it. One of the, so a tip that I, I got a while back from from Aaron Nace um, over at Flurn.com. He he suggested like don't even try to do your composite in color initially. Just go black. Put a it, there's a, a channel layer you can use in Photoshop so that you can make it so that it is black and white. Everything underneath it will be black and white. And mm-hmm. And that helps you to focus on the details in the composite that make it believable. You're, you're going to nail your lighting way better if it's in black and white before you come back to the color. And then the last step is now go put it in color. If it's going to be a color photo, go put it in mm-hmm. color and fix any of the color problems that there might be. But don't. I like, absolutely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I know when I started doing composites, I was doing the same thing. I was just putting like a gradient map on top. And every turned everything into black and white, and then that's how I was matching the shadows and matching the light source right, and all right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it, it's really, really helped my composite work to be able to make it fully believable. I've posted a number of photos now where I didn't share that it was a composite. I didn't claim it was a single shot either, but I, I didn't <laughs> share it was a composite, and nobody questioned it. There was no like, "Hey, this looks like it was." You took two different shots here, and um, and it's been so fun because it's so believable when I use that black and white layering to to try to figure out the lighting. It's awesome. Oh, that's a that's a blast. I I love composites. That's where I mainly started. Yeah. The- was the composite area. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. I, I love it. And I, I know there's a lot of listeners who um, are afraid of Photoshop. <laughs> they, they're really worried about like, man, there are so many buttons and menus and everything in here and I don't know how to do it. But uh, just dive in, just go like get a vision of a project you want to do and experiment. And maybe it's going to blow up the first few times. That's totally fine. It did for me. I totally blew oh, yeah. it. <laughs> Over My first over. composites were <laughs> friends of mine. We were all at a, we were all at like a, a brewery event, like a beer tasting event. And we had pictures of us all holding a beer and then they were all coaches for the university. And so they're like, Hey, maybe don't post that online. Cause it'll be, I don't want the want pictures of us holding beer online. Uh-huh. And so I photoshopped out the beer. So we were all holding cats. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that was my intro into nice. composites right there. Nice. And was it believable? 
oh no, it was bad. It was super bad. <laughs> right. I was like, it's fine. No one will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So I, I just encourage the listeners. Uh, it's another way that you can maybe help with the black and white, that part of it. And that's, that's why I've experimented with some of the photos too. After I've, after I did that with composites, I thought, well, this will probably help me in post-processing in general. And I'm going to try it on a few shots and, and, and why I decided I really need to develop the cipher black and white. I need to make it so that I'm thinking about it as part of my creative vision and not like a, an afterthought of, okay, I want to pick one photo in this set that's going to be black and white. I don't know which. So let's do that one. And <laughs> it's just not working out very well. Well, and, you know, when you're in Photoshop, too, I mean, I think the reason Photoshop gets so intimidating, too, is people think they have to know how to use all the tools. Or they have to know. I mean, there's a million things that, to do in Photoshop. I don't know. I don't even know a quarter of it. I'm sure it's impossible to right. know all of that, unless you're Aaron Nace, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the cool thing about black and white, too, is, like you said, you can change a lot of stuff that it would look really bad in color. So, you know, when I was a very beginning photographer, I was making all the mistakes that most beginning photographers make. You know, I was I was uh, relying pretty heavily on that saturation and the clarity slider. Right, <laughs> we were, right. We were good friends. And um, <laughs> it wasn't until later I realized that looks really bad. I need to stop doing that. Um, but then when I went and started shooting for black and white again, that clarity slider turned out to be kind of interesting and right. like you said changing some of those colors the changing the reds and the greens and i think it's interesting sometimes i'll i'll switch a photo to black and white and then adjust it how i like it how it looks really good and then just for fun just put it back into color and it looks bad it looks really awful right um but that's part of the experimentation of it is the rules that you have to follow in color photos um to make them look realistic or make them look like a decent photo it's a lot different in black and white. So you can kind of play around and you don't have to worry about a lot of the things you have to worry about in color photos. There's a, there's a brand new slider that's going to be coming in the next version of Lightroom. I'm, I'm in the beta testing for Lightroom and I can't tell you what it Ooh. is yet. We can't share it yet, but uh, it's, there's a new one that people are going to fall in love with too. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> is it going to help me with underwater? Uh, yeah, it probably will. It Maybe. probably will. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, yep. It, it should be like, Pretty soon after this podcast, it's this this is going to go up on uh, May tenth, uh, Friday, May tenth, and um, it probably won't be too many days after this goes up that it'll be released. So then I will talk about it, and it'll be fun. Um, okay, so let's move on to some listener questions. Let's see see how many of these we can we can tackle. That's going to yeah. bring up some of the stuff we've alluded to at the beginning of the show. We're going to start with and oh, there's names in here. I think I'm going to be pretty good on most of these, but. I, there's always danger whenever we say names that we're going to yeah. slaughter them. So I'll pre-apologize right now for anyone that we may slaughter your name, but we're trying not to. Uh, Sam Lockhart. So I think that one's pretty safe for a name. He said, I tend to convert to black and white after I've seen the photo, but I'm guessing the best black and white shots are intended from the beginning. Are there particular settings and compositional factors which make them better? We already kind of talked through that, didn't we? We kind of, we talked a little bit about that. Um, we already did a little bit, I think, but to to say the best black and white shots are intended from the beginning, I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I've definitely gone out with the vision of shooting black and white, but there are times, especially underwater, because underwater a lot of times you're just shooting you're just shooting for your life because it's a really you know, you're dealing with waves and people and light sources changing and you know, backscatter and all kinds of crazy things and the whole time you're trying to hold your breath and <laughs> camera at someone. So <laughs> underwater I'm not really I'm not as 
um, specific with everything that's going on as you can be on land. On land, you can stand, point your camera direction, take a ship photo, adjust something, take it again. And um, underwater is a little different. And I don't know how many times that I've done a shoot underwater and done it in color and got back and even had photos that I'm not super thrilled with and think I'm just going to toss them out. I've had, you know, blurry shots, ones where the camera completely missed the mark and I put them in black and white and just fall in love with them. I think on, if you go to my website, go to um, my website, it's just jennamartinphotography.com and the collection is called Astray. I think it's the second collection down. It's all black and white underwater photos. And the second photo in the group, I think it's the second one. It's just like a girl kind of going up for air. It's completely out of focus. The camera focused on some <laughs> like bubbles in the front and she was blurry. That was a complete throwaway shot. And I put it in black and white and thought, I love it. I absolutely love it. So I think there's just a, a big difference. Sometimes it's just, it triggers a mood in you. It right. triggers a feeling and um, it, you just kind of go with it. So it could kind of be either way. If you are planning it from the beginning, then you're probably more likely to end up with a good result in the black and white that you're yeah right yeah. But yeah. It, it might just come out, and this is where I think I struggle the most. Is out of your shoot, you may have a shot like the the, the girl you just mentioned, the underwater shot that was out of focus. You may have a shot that doesn't work in color, and in black and white it does. And I need to recognize that more. That's what I'm, I'm going to work on is making sure I recognize that. And I think part of it, too, is that is something that speaks to you. Whereas in color, it looked good. It looked good in color. It was a throwaway shot, though. I wasn't going to, to publish that anywhere. Um, but then once I switched it to black and white, it just had an kind of had an eerie feeling about right, it. Right. Um, I don't know. It was a completely different mood. And I didn't expect that. And so when I did it, I thought, oh, this is awesome. And since then when I'm shooting underwater, pretty much every single throwaway underwater shot, I'll put it in black and white first before I'm, before I'm done, just to see, because it does make an eerie, weird feeling. Okay, so maybe that's what I need to try is I get down to, out of a, a especially a portrait shoot, client shoot, I get down to, you know, 10 images or so that are the, the shots. Those are the ones that, that worked out really mm -hmm. well and uh, realized the the vision or even I, I may only have one where I was like, okay, that's exactly the vision I had for this shoot is this one shot. And I need to probably try it in black and white. I need to. Yeah. See. You know, that probably is a really good point. Now that I think about it, even the work that I've done on land, if I'm shooting, uh, shooting a senior portrait and I just get this random blurry shot where she turns around and her hair's in her face and it's really blurry. Um, that would be a throwaway shot, but in black and white, that, that, I can adjust the contrast and adjust the texture of it. And it looks really cool. So yeah. I, I would maybe start playing around with some of those throwaway shots and seeing what happens too. Very good. All right. Let's go on to the next question. This is Barry Porter. He says, I love black and white photography, but why do people in my experience only consider black and white to be fine art? Also, what makes a photo fine art? So I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have the rest of the show be spent on this question. So is there a, shortish um, version of the answer yeah here. so yeah i mean not to ask the most loaded question ever there but, <laughs> right. um so i know that on on my podcast i do the i do a full fine art business of fine art class yeah. i think there's four episodes and i think episode 26 i think is all about portfolio development and it explains a lot of that like what fine art actually is the shortest version i can say is fine art Fine art essentially makes you stop, makes you stop and actually look at something and study a photograph. 
So, you know, if I go to a friend's house and I see their wedding photos, I might point to a wedding photo and go, oh, that's cute. And then keep going. It might be a really beautiful photo, but it doesn't make me stop and study it. Uh And so fine art is something that either it's the texture in the skin combined with the expression in the eyes combined with a, a minimal background with no distractions. It's something that you either search into the photo and you can just stand there and stare at it or something. Maybe there is a lot going on in the background that you have to look from one to the next to the next to the next. Um, how I had it described to me was essentially um, at this large event where a, a woman pretty much described to me and she said, it's like if you take a deer in the forest. It's a pretty photo. There are plenty of photographs of deer in forests everywhere. And it's pretty. But a photo that makes that art would be if you take that deer and you place it in a shopping mall. All of a sudden, maybe the photo isn't as pretty, but it makes you stare at it. And it makes you look around and see if people are reacting to the deer, if the deer is reacting to its location. Why is it there? And you start asking questions. That's where it turns more into fine art. So even if you do have a deer in the forest, that can still be a fine art image, but it can't just be the picture of the deer in the forest. It has to be something where the light is hitting it at a, at a way that you don't usually see. Something where it's at this meadow and there's maybe some symmetry on either side of it. It's something where you stare at it and go, wow, there is something different about this image than just a basic postcard image. And that's, I think, as close to defining fine art <laughs> as I can get. <laughs> okay, so maybe um, the reason we consider black and white to often be associated with fine <laughs> art is because we don't see the world in black and white. We see it in color. I think so, yeah. And so it's, you know, it's to look different. At, yeah. To look at a portrait and to see someone and to see all that texture in their skin, we don't usually see that when it's in color. You can, and there's photographers who do a wonderful job at it, but a lot of times in black and white, that's part of why they're putting it in black and white is to pull out the texture and to see that different texture, see all the wrinkles in their face, that tells a different story than it does in color. So I think that might be part of it. Yeah. There's a lot of photographers who do everything they can to get rid of all that texture in the skin, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we can do a whole episode on that, yeah, too. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, we don't, I, there's could be way more said, and you need to go check out Tim's podcast for it. But uh, I think I under, I think I explain it better <laughs> over there. But well, it's you, close as I can. Yeah. If you have a lot more time, I'm sure you'd do a better, <laughs> better job. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next question. So this is from Jason Wade. He says, I love black and white photos. Sometimes I would go back after I processed an image and wonder what it would look like in black and white. Sometimes I like the black and white better. It's all in the perspective and the textures, I feel. So that, that that's a really good summation about, yes. about what we've been talking about. So, yes. yep, Jason, that's exactly what, kind of what we're talking about. Moses Rodriguez says, funny thing is I decide my black and white by how I feel. It sort of speaks to me. Maybe there's something more and I just don't understand it. What do you think? I, you know what? I, I totally agree with you, Moses. <laughs> um, I still do that. I, I wonder if, you know, 20 years down the line, I'll look back and I'll think, oh, you know why I really like those blurry photos? It's because of, you know, this principle and this principle that I hadn't yet learned. So, you know, maybe that is the case. But do you think, and maybe I'm reading into his question here, do you think your mood at the time you're processing has an impact on whether you're going to go black and white on something? Ooh, I bet it does. I can't imagine it wouldn't. <laughs> right. I think that's what he's saying in this is like he he sort of gets into a mood where he thinks photos need to be in black and white more. So Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you need to like get mad or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen to some to some really sad music when yeah. you're doing your black and white processing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's awesome. All right. Tim Reed said a common misconception, black and white is a way to save a photo, i.e. colors aren't right or don't do the picture justice. I've actually pulled that rabbit out of the hat a few times myself in weird situations and ended up with an awesome image. So sometimes when I see a black and white image, I think or wonder what was actually wrong with it. Why they have to change it to black and white? <laughs> is that a common interpretation or thought? It seems I can never look at a composition and say this is going to be an awesome black and white photo without going through several edits first and then feeling like I settled for black and white because I didn't get the color exactly right. <laughs> oh, man. I feel that one. I feel that deep in my soul. <laughs> I yeah. have absolutely that those are the the rare cases where I did actually think, okay, I need to do black and white here because of this. Like I I screwed up the technical components of it so badly mm-hmm. that that was the only way to save the photo. And you talked about a couple of instances where oh, you yeah. thought that way too. Oh yeah. I mean, when I was starting out, I was, you know, I'm photographing people in the trees and I'm like, what why do they look weird? And then I I was put in black and white. And then years later, I'm like, oh, it's because it's all the green reflecting on their skin (laughs) and they look super sick. I didn't know how to correct it. (laughs) So, yeah, I think every photographer definitely does that. And and to look at it and and to see black and white from then on and wonder, you know, what did they do wrong that they threw it in black and white? Uh, I think that's natural. But there's also photographers out there that I will see their black and white work. And I'm just blown away. Yeah, absolutely blown away. And those are the ones that I realized there's a, there's a very, there's a very uh, specific skill to this. It's not just luck of if it didn't work out in color, I'll throw it in black and white. Uh, there are photographers out there who are just, they're killing it. And th- that's what my goal for black and white for myself is. It's mm-hmm. not the kind of where it's like to rescue a, a bad shot. Mm-hmm. It, it's the kind where I am, I, I can only accomplish the emotion I'm going for in the shot, and I'm deliberately making sure it's going to be black and white to do that, mm-hmm. which is not something I'm doing today, and I need to develop that. That's what my goal is. So, uh, and and I can tell that I think a difference in the the photographers that do a really good job with this. Uh, Levi Sim is one of my examples I used earlier. I don't know if you know Levi, but he. He is a, a really, really good portrait photographer. He does tons of like corporate work, but also personal project stuff. He has a project that he's he's doing the Steve Jobs, I think he calls it the Steve Jobs po- Portrait Project. And uh, so Steve Jobs took a picture in black and white way, uh, many years ago, and it became kind of the the picture that represented Steve. It conveyed the emotion of the complicated man that Steve was. and um, and he loved it. He loved that. And he wanted to develop this. So he is shooting as many people as will let him <laughs> in the same yeah. kind of pose and the same style of lighting and the same kind of setup as that Steve Jobs portrait in black and white. And it's taught him a ton about it, but it, he's also in black and white almost all the time. And I can mm-hmm. tell from, you know, the, the most current images that Levi produces and is, is sharing that are in black and white. It is totally purposeful. He he is yes. absolutely doing this for a reason, and it's not to hide technical problems. Um, yes. So so that's what my goal is with this. That's where I want to get to. There was a photographer that just I, I saw him on Instagram. They were they uh, ran an ad, and I, I rarely click on the ads, but I saw this one, and I'm like, that image is stunning. And I went to his profile, and I can't remember the name of this person because I literally just started following him. Um, dang it. But yeah, his his photos are fantastic. They were like photos um, of Native Americans and some um, different populations you don't get to see every day. And yeah, they were just 
that was one where it's like that is black and white done right done uh-huh. correctly um with intention and with purpose for sure so I, I do think that there's the vast majority of the images shared in black and white probably are this like hiding technical problems sort of scenario. I, I kind of think I bet that's true, <laughs> which is why there is this. I, I don't know that it's a misconception. It's probably very true. That's probably exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. But there's also plenty yeah. that are really good and purposeful. So. Yeah. And I think like, uh, you know, when Tim's mentioning seeing a photo in your first instant going, ah, I wonder what they're hiding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some of these better photographers, I don't for a second think that right. I see that photo and go, that is, that's stunning. Um, this is, this is a fantastic job. And then there are definitely other ones where someone posts and they're like, you know, a wedding photo or something. And I'm going, ah, I bet you're an extra wall that was sharing some weird light there. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) It went into black and white. Um, and that's definitely one of my, I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves is seeing, uh, photographers that they, they post on social media and they'll post the color and the black and white and say, Hey, you guys, which one do you like best? I hate that. I hate it so much. I, I want you guys to like message a a photographer who is good at black and white and ask them specifically, you know, privately and, and let them actually show you maybe what is going on in that image. Because if you're just kind of like maybe color, maybe black and white, who cares? Then you're not really studying it. Um, and plus the people that are going to tell you which one they like better. They're not people that are, they're not a bunch of professional photographers that you're getting great opinions from They're You know, the father of the bride who likes whatever he likes. Right. Um, so I usually, yeah, that's probably one of those things where people are like, I don't know which one's better. And I'm like, no, 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 take this down, send it to someone, study it, and then pick one, post that one and be confident. Don't ask for, don't ask for uh, opinions on it. Right. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next question. This comes from Sandy Glenn Brown, who was at the retreat with us. So hi, Sandy. And she says, thanks, Jeff. This is a great topic to discuss. Tim Reed, I agree with your comments. So she was, she's saying she's, she sees a lot of people mm-hmm. hiding technical problems with black and white. I too would like to know how to see a black and white image before the shot. And then she says, does your guest shoot color and then convert? How does your guest process an image for black and white? I'm super excited for this info. <laughs> Yay. Hi, Sandy. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about that, about seeing it before the shot for sure about, you know, going out and shooting in monochrome and, and picking a scene, looking at it, looking at the back of the camera and saying, Hmm, you know, maybe it's a flat image. Maybe to adjust my light source. Um, I, yeah, I definitely, I shoot in, I shoot in color pretty much across the board and then I will shoot in monochrome if I'm doing that kind of training uh-huh, session right. or if I'm doing a, um, photo shoot that I know is a hundred percent going to be in monochrome, but otherwise I do shoot in color and convert. But now that I know maybe I can shoot monochrome and still have the color file, maybe I'll start doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very cool. You can be able to, to do that and, and see it. Uh, when you're capturing in black and white. The other thing I wanted to mention here that just came to mind was I'm not just talking about the one click go to black and white in Lightroom or Photoshop. I'm talking mm-hmm. about no, yeah. the, going in Lightroom, you go into the HSL panel and it, it changes to, uh, to to facilitate your black and white. And then you change the what would have been the color, you're changing the luminosity, the how bright or dark it is mm-hmm. um, by the colors. And you can add so much depth to photos that way when it goes to black and white. The, the ones that I've been most successful with, that's what I've done. I, you click on it and, and Lightroom has kind of a default conversion to black and white, but they let you tweak mm-hmm. it. So, and, and that's, I think, what we're talking about here is, is figuring out how to bring the most out of an image by doing more tweaking yourself than just the one click go to black and white. 
Is that right? You- I know that that I personally tend to shoot more in um or tend to convert my black and whites in Photoshop. So I I do it in Lightroom and if I have like a big section that I'll do, I have to batch, you know, I'll I'll do that all in, in Lightroom. Um so I don't have to do that in Photoshop. But when I'm doing the fine artwork, it's usually maybe maybe four photos. You know, it's not a lot because right, right. I, I kind of get one and I, ha- I focus a lot on that photo and I really focus on editing that and making it as perfect as possible. Because um, like I said, I don't do a lot of client work anymore. So the fine art, I get to kind of pick one and not have to do a ton. And when that's the case, I usually do edit in Photoshop. I like to, um, I like to put them in black and white by using the gradient map. And that's mostly because now I've kind of found my style with black and white a little bit. Where I don't, I don't like true blacks very much. I don't like true whites very much. I tend to lean a little more towards the film side of how they look, and so I tend to um, change the the color tones a little bit in the black and white, and change a lot of the different um, levels, the the black levels and the white levels, and I do that all through Photoshop. But I usually start with the with the gradient map. Is, is pretty much how I start with the entire editing process. Okay, right. Okay, my gradient map. You can do camera raw and get like the same HSL stuff as in Lightroom. Yes, yes. Uh, that's another way you can do it. Or there's the channel mixer is the way that uh, Aaron was teaching the, to do mm-hmm. it. But that's that was more to facilitate composite. That was the one-click solution. That was, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was uh, you put that at the very top layer and then when you click it, it, it will do a conversion to black and white and you're not going to go tune it at all. And that's not yeah. how I would do that with yeah. a photo. Yeah, I think it's usually, yeah, I do the gradient map. I definitely do a luminosity adjustment. And um, and then I usually at some point I'll start playing with the, the selective color and start going through all the different um, sliders in there. Yeah, there's just a lot of things yeah. to do, you know. But it's why people get intimidated with Photoshop. There's like 100 ways to do everything. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we, yeah, it's like, and plus you just got to find the one you like. Yeah. yeah. Um, the channel mixer, I, I rarely use a channel mixer. I have sometimes for really specific stuff. I learn how to use it and then I forget. I just don't use it anymore. Um, but that's okay. I don't, I have other ways of doing things. So, sure. you know, pick a one way and, and stick with that. It's fine. Sure. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Brian Pex, good friend of the show here. He says, Hi, I, Brian. I, I see lots of black and white images that maybe should not be black and white and would love to have the take on how simple shots most often work with less black and white rather than more chaotic scenes. So he brings up a good point. We haven't talked about this yet. Mm-hmm. Are there images that just won't work in black and white? I think that's where when, when it comes to similar tones. So I know that, for example... If you were to have like a uh, a woman in a red dress surrounded by green foliage, that's probably going to be a decent color image because you know red and green are complementary colors, and there isn't a lot there isn't a lot else going on, so it's just red, green, foliage, woman. There, that's it. That would probably be a decent picture in color. That might not be good in black and white because red and green tend to have similar gray tones depending on their saturation levels. Uh-huh. So if you put that in black and white, it's literally just going to be a giant blob of gray and a floating head. <laughs> right. So that might not be a good black and white image. Um, if her dress is a super light, light, light green uh, or light, light, light red, and maybe the foliage is really dark, then maybe you've got something to work with. But you know, a lot of times that's where you're looking at is if, if your tones are very, very similar and there's not a lot of differentiation, differentiation between them then i think that's where it will probably be a better um imaging color if you had that same woman and she's in a multicolored dress and that's taken in the fall so the foliage is red and green and yellow and and green or i don't know orange Orange, and all these different colors 
that's where it might be a lot going on. And that's where it might be better to put it in black and white. And then you're adjusting your light sources. So you're adding more light um, to your main subject, working with any kind of, if there's like a branch that leads towards them, maybe highlight that. So you're using you know, some leading lines uh, properties. So I think it really depends on, um, it's all based on your tonality. Okay. All right. Kenny Huffman says, my question would be kind of strange since I import all my photos black and white and look at light composition and texture before deciding it needs color to close the deal, so to speak. Mm. What is in your decision to uh, out the black and white for color? Not enough information in the photograph. That's an interesting process. Ooh, yeah, that is interesting. I'd like to know why he does that. I'd like like to know more about that. my my decision, I guess, I, I don't really know because mine is definitely the opposite. Yeah. I, I upload everything into color. Um, if it's not black and white, if there's a photo like, you know, we just mentioned with Brian's question, if there's a photo that I'm not going to put in black and white, it's usually because of the sim- too, way too similar tonality across the board that it just is going to look like a flat, gray, blobby image. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Oh, and I guess uh, we didn't... Um, Brian asked about like simple versus chaotic. Oh, right, right. Too. Um, I think that's where, that's where, I mean, some of the, some of the best photographs of all time are the ones that are crazy chaotic. You know, it's like the overhead picture of the beach. I can't remember the photographer that did that one. Um, it's the, the 99 cent photographer of the, you know, the one that um, was like the 99 cent store. That was the composite of all the different um, it's like in Japan or something like that. It's just a million different things in this one store. That's where, yeah, I don't think that image would be good in black and white at all. That would probably be a horrible image um, because it's too busy. I think there are circumstances like that where you need the color. You have to have color to differentiate something because if you have too many variations in tone, then it's just, it's literally just white noise, I think. <laughs> Seems like Milky Way shots wouldn't work very well. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You have to to talk to some Milky Way photographers and see if they've tried that. Because a lot of those are in color. Yeah. I I can't really think of a a one I thought, wow, that's awesome. That was in black and white. And Mm. and maybe it's because that's what every Milky Way photographer is trying to do is actually capture the color that comes from the Milky Way core. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you're you're killing a big portion of the like effort (laughs) by putting in black and white. Anyway. See, I'm going to try that now. Like, I'm gonna, <laughs> I want to go out and shoot something at night and see if I can, what it would make look, it look like good. in black and white. I could make it look good somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's interesting because, and maybe that this is another reason I, I don't think I'd like it. When at night, you don't see the colors as well. Like, our mm-hmm. vision is trending towards black and white way more. So, when mm-hmm. you see a night photo that has the color, that's di- very different and and uh, I think appeals. Anyway, I just I'm not yeah. sure that's going to that's when that would work, but I could be wrong. I don't know yeah. this very well. <laughs> okay, uh let's see. How about Jeremy S. Lanthorn says when to go glossy or when to go matte or luster, which I'm not sure how that has much to do with black and white, but is there a difference yeah. do you think in in what you're going to print on? Um yeah, this is a this is a definitely a fine art question. <laughs> um there's a huge huge difference. I know that for all of my uh, my like to dream a dream collection, which is all my surreal um, um, composite work. That's all on um, matte. I like it because it doesn't have any of the reflections. So you can hang it pretty much anywhere and any light that comes in through the house, it kind of absorbs it. But I like that, that it's kind of this thick velvety color. I like that with black and white. 
a lot of times because it makes the black seem richer for some reason that it's like a dense thick black i really i really do enjoy that but there in all my underwater work that's black and white that's printed on a closer to a glossy paper i wouldn't call it glossy but definitely has more reflective properties and that's because the thick matte it doesn't seem to work as well for water. I like the reflective quality of water, so I want some of that in the actual print. Um, so I think it is a little bit of personal preference, and it is what you shoot. Very good. Okay, so it has more to do with it than I thought. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. All right, Stephen Smith said, talk about the timelessness aspect, which we kind of touched on just a little bit, but he said, mm-hmm. we've seen the museum exhibits. You have the Farm Security Administration color photographs from the time period, and we're accustomed to seeing just black and white photography as jarring. The same is true when we see Photoshop colorized versions of old black and white photos. We're in an age where color makes us feel closer to the photo subject and black and white feels more isolating. Does this expert, that's you, Jenna, <laughs> think <laughs> that will continue or reverse what will be our emotional connection to black and white photography in another 50 years? Oh, good question. Um, well, when we talk about timelessness of it, I mean, the, the entire reason that black and white is timeless is because this was the original form sure, of Sure, right. You didn't photos, have a choice. You know? It was black and white. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it, that was black and white. The original movies were black and white. Yeah. And I think 50 years, 100 years from now, I think that's going to stay the same because you can take a picture of a tree right now outside your house. And if that's in black and white, there's no real way of knowing what year that photo was taken in. So I think that timelessness aspect of it will always be there. Um, I think that there, it definitely goes through trends. I mean, Ansel Adams was one of the greats and he had a blast adding some, (laughs) you know, doing some dodging and learning. So it definitely goes through these, these different stages but yeah i think that timelessness of it is part of what people love so much and i don't think that's ever going to go anywhere yeah and and i the the emotional connection piece feels to me like that's only going to get stronger as it goes mm-hmm. on cuz everyone you know you have like you know kids being born today they're going to be so used to wild colors in like their smartphone pictures even the technology's come to the point where that's just totally normal. <laughs> That's what they're yeah. surrounded by constantly. I see it and it almost looks exactly the same on my photo. And I didn't have to do anything to make that happen. But then when they see it, you know, something in black and white, they'd be like, that is different. I don't ever see that. And, and I think the emotional response is only going to get stronger. And yeah, I, I can't agree more. I know that, you know, I started, I ordered a, I got a Polaroid like, from a store like a long time ago. Um, and I ordered some film and when I first ordered the film, I didn't really know what I was doing and half of it showed up with, it was black and white film. So I'd ordered half the wrong film and, um, but I've used it. I've taken photos. I take like a Polaroid picture of the family. It's like every other day or so I take a photo of the girls doing something or, you know, my husband with them making breakfast or something like that. And of all the photos I've taken over with my family through my, you know, digital camera, those Polaroids, I love them so much and it has something to do. It is just a different kind of look that I don't think, I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to get sick of it. And you know, that's why I want to plug the hole I have in my own photography. <laughs> I want to yeah. get good at this because I do think it's not going to be every shot. It's not even going to be most of my shots. They're still going to be in color most of the time, but I want to get to the point where I can identify the shot out of a shoot this should be in black and white and have a better emotional response. Something that's going to be more significant to the clients as they, when I deliver the photos. 
I've definitely, I've definitely seen that with um, birth photography. Oh, a lot yeah. of the friends of mine who do shoot um, birth photography, they put a ton of images in black and white. And I'm, I w- oftentimes wonder if it's because births aren't super clean. You know? <laughs> right, there's, right. There's a lot there's, of stuff that's messy. <laughs> that yep. people don't exactly <laughs> want to see. Um, so, but they put those photos in black and white and it's like, you don't, you don't see all the blood. You don't see all the other stuff. You just see the mom and baby, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that might have to be a, a big part of it, of why those images are, are so powerful. Okay, we're going to do one more. There's a couple others, but we already addressed them. So we're going to do this last one. It says, uh, from Quinn Kirkland, said, do you re- recommend using colored filters when you know for sure you're going black and white? If so, what are you using and why? Ooh, so I don't use any filters. Um, but I'm not the person to ask <laughs> gear questions. That would be you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't really use any kind of, I'm a pretty simple gear kind of person. And if I do need something, I usually just build it myself. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I tend to, I don't know. I, I tend to like things pretty much as, as close as I can get them in camera. And then at this point, if I have an issue with it, I am fully aware of how to fix that issue in post-processing. So I've never bothered with filters. For me, it was always just an added step in the middle that I'd have to account for or adjust for, and it was another thing. So I personally haven't, um, I haven't gone that route at all. And I, I think a cut. Well, there could be a reason. Uh, you know, here's an example: Canon cameras they oversaturate reds heavily. They're they're very mm, okay. oversaturated on reds. Um, it's just a known thing. And if you're a Canon shooter, if you go in the HSL panel and you reduce the saturation on red, you're going to see more detail in your reds. And, um, it, it just, I, it's, it's just how it works. And so if there was a filter that could kind of remove a little bit of that red saturation as you were going to go black and white, maybe I could see that being a, a slight benefit, but it's not so oversaturated. You're losing detail. And it's totally fixable in in post. It's yeah. it's a minor. And if it's change. fixable, then yeah, I'll just go that. Route. So to me, there's enough other things to be worried about <laughs> as you're as yeah. you're creating your photos. Uh, that adding like complexity with putting some kind of a color filter on top of it when it's going to go black and white doesn't feel worth it. In in it, uh, the one exception I can think of right off the top of my head is um, Don Kamarechka is a fabulous photographer. Does a lot of uh, the world we don't see is kind of the the genre of photography he likes to do. So tons of macro, but he also has done a ton of infrared, and oh. and he likes to try a lot of experiments about like how do things fluoresce when you use an infrared filter and you're you're taking the picture because it it makes it look totally different in black and white specifically. And what kinds of gradients and, and how the colors are represented. It's a completely different thing. It's not even close to the same thing as a taking color and going to black and white. So you end up with images that are drastically different by doing that. But that's he's done a special mod to his camera so that it is always infrared. <laughs> he's not <Yeah. laughs> he's not putting a, a filter on the front of it. So that's a way more extreme example and and a different genre altogether, I'd say. Than, than what we're talking about here. So that's the only example mm-hmm. I can think of where uh, a filter might uh, make a big difference in black and white, but I haven't done enough to really say either. So I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't either. I, I, 
I wish I, uh, I always feel bad when people ask your questions because I'm like, well, I have something similar, but you can't actually buy anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's made you out made of a it. sock and a piece of glass. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. All right. Well, we, we close up and I didn't warn you, Jenna. So if you don't have anything, that's fine. We close up every show with a doodad of the week. Is there some kind of doodad that you've been using in your photography lately that you can recommend to mm. the listeners? Do that of the week, man. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty minimal on the gear here. <laughs> um, I know that uh, lately I've been um, lately I've been playing with uh, old CDs and breaking like smashing old CDs. So they're kind of they're still flat and they're still together, but they're all very cracked and um, reflecting them inside the like shooting straight into the light and reflecting the CD into the camera too because it just creates some cool reflective effects. And um, so, yeah, if, I mean, that'd be my gear. Go home and smash up some smash CDs. Some CDs. <laughs> Is there music you should play while you're smashing CDs? Yeah, whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all my gear is somewhere in, uh, along those lines. So. <laughs> I love it. So I, awesome. You know, at some point I need to, I need to get better at this because like, I could probably be sponsored by an actual company, but I never use it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so my doodad is um, it's the Dymo. I don't know how you say this. Letra tag. Uh, it's a handheld label maker. I want to don't worry about the name. You can go to the show notes <laughs> and get the link to it if you want to. But it's it's about thirty bucks. And the thing that I the reason I got this was just before going to the retreat. I knew I was going to take a whole lot of gear with me to the retreat. I was fortunate I could drive there this year and. I was taking light stands and flashes and backdrops. And yeah, you guys had you had a lot. You and Jim were. We're we're packing up there. Yeah, we we had we had a lot we were we were bringing. So I didn't want to. I wanted to make sure I came home with all of it. And <laughs> and uh, it, you know, it's not that I expected anyone was going to deliberately try to take it. It was just more like there's so many that would have similar kinds of gear. I didn't want to get mine mixed up with somebody else's, and I, I'd make sure that it had all that. So I just put Harmon on everything that I labeled. Use this label maker. It was it's really simple to use. You can spit out the same label over and over and over really fast. And it only took, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And I tagged every bit of the gear that I had and and put labels on there. So I it's it's a good way to help you make sure you keep track of your gear, especially if you're going to be spending some time around a lot of other photographers. Yeah, that might be for anyone coming to the retreat next year. We were finding leftover stuff. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And having your name on it. You can, you know, you can try on some of them, some gear you can use like a Sharpie and write your name and, and have it be okay to try to find it. But this label is better. It works better. Yeah. All right. We're going to end the show now. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Jen. It was really fun. I had a lot of, a lot of yeah. fun talking with you and I'm sure we're going to have you come back on. We, we need to dive a little more into fine art, I think, and what that means. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a. Uh, that's that's a long subject so yeah for sure <laughs> so go check out our podcast we'll have a link to it in the show notes or you can just search for creative chaos podcast that's right jenna creative chaos yeah podcast. yeah and um it, if you can just search creative chaos i think i'm the second one that comes up okay. then because yeah there's there's one more that just got added so um it's the one that says it's jenna martin is the author though so oh, very good Okay, um, we want to remind you, masterphotographypodcast.com. That's where those show notes we just talked about are going to be so that we'll have all the links and all the stuff we've talked about will be in there. You don't have to remember any of it or write it down. Um, you can catch me. Um, my work is jsharmanphotos.com. Uh, Photo Taco is the other podcast I do where 
I geek out and Jen, I, I talk about all the technical stuff like crazy in there. So, <laughs> so. yeah, <laughs> I, I like, I like that podcast for sure, because that's the stuff that I do not know about. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I'm surprised it, you can do a lot. Obviously you're doing fabulous work without having the, a ton of technical knowledge, but I think understanding the technical it can get you out of jams. You can figure out how to like pull a rabbit out of the hat. We talked, we had that in one of the listeners comments and figure out what to do to save a shoot because of technical stuff. It's just, Oh, that's, that's yeah. how a lot of my photography was developed because yeah. I was shooting with someone else going, Oh, I've got this issue and it's just driving me nuts. And they're like, you know, it's that one button right there. <laughs> solves all your problems. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's pretty helpful. So if you want to, if you're interested in, in diving into some of those technical details, making it so that that's, not something you're going to have to dedicate as much thought to because you know it. Then go check out Photo Taco Podcast. I'm on uh, Facebook, Harmon Jeff, Harmon.Jeff, uh, Instagram, Harmon Jeff, and Twitter, Harmon underscore Jeff. But you don't have to remember any of that. Just go to the show notes. Jenna, where can people find you? Um, I'm, um, yeah, I'm at the Creative Chaos Podcast. And then I'm on Instagram at Jenna Martin Photo. And then, yes, I have a, my website, Jenna Martin Photography.com. And my blog is Jenna Martin Photo Blog. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, we are going to have you come back. So, uh, we'll we'll work out when that's going to (laughs) be, have you come on again. (laughs) Let me know. I'd love to. All right. Thank you so much. Then thank you listeners. We're so glad to have you, uh, listening to the podcast and, and would love it if you would share the podcast with somebody else, the more subscribers we can get, the more the show grows and, uh, the more we can keep moving on this podcast. So thank you so much. And we'll see you again in another seven days. 